Let's pray a moment. Lord, thank you this morning for your word. Come, Holy Spirit, now and open this word to us. Give us patience as we walk through it. Fill my words and anoint them with your presence and lead us to Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, a few days ago, my family, uh, well, we got to enjoy with one another a family dinner out on the porch. And I got to tell you, I love family meals most of the time. You know, there have been a few over the years that are really forgettable, but I'm, I want to have a positive message here today. Family meals, I think, are one of the blessings that I have actually experienced during this pandemic because there has actually been time for them. And in the case of my family, there's been a proximity that has allowed them. Some of you perhaps have experienced the same thing. Of course, conversely, because of the need for social distancing, many of you have been apart from your families, and that leaves a real gap and a place of grief and loss in our hearts. Well, at this family meal the other night, one of my kids' friends was joining us for dinner. Uh, my children, if you don't know, are either in college or their early 20s, and so the conversation was very rich and very entertaining and full of a lot of humor. And as always happens at our table, especially when someone new comes and enters in with us, we eventually get telling stories about our family. And everyone got laughing along the way. And I noticed something at the time. I noticed that it was the storytelling that really deepened our connection with one another and with this new person who had come to be with us. Now, why is that? Well, anthropologists tell us that storytelling is central to our human experience. It's not peripheral. It's not an added thing. Storytelling is at the heart of what it means to be human. And it's common to every known culture. Through stories, this exchange goes on between the teller and the hearer so that really information is not only shared, but life is shared along the way. Complex realities can be understood and a joining together occurs, making sense of things so that people can actually enter in and become part of the story. Now, Jesus knew this and Jesus clearly understood the human heart. He knew people and he knew what people needed. And that's why he told so many stories or parables, what we're calling kingdom stories. He told stories to invite people in to his life and into his kingdom, into his story and into a relationship with God. Now, I want you to understand as we get started today that God wants people to connect with him. God wants you to connect with him, and he wants to connect with you. Jesus wants you to know what he's like. He wants you to know what the Heavenly Father is like. He wants you to know what the kingdom is like and what it means for us to be a part of that kingdom. And so in our gospel lesson today in Luke 13, Jesus tells a series of short parables of kingdom stories to help his audience and us understand what the kingdom of God is all about, what his rule and his reign is like, so that we might be a part of it. And that's why we want to look at these verses today. We'll begin at verse 18. Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? 
What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Okay, first he starts out with a farming story, agricultural, the mustard seed, one of the smallest of seeds. Like, okay, you see the mustard seed on the tip of my finger. Of course you don't. You can't see that. It's the size of a grain of sand. Tiny, tiny seed. A tiny beginning. And yet that tiny seed can grow a plant that's over 15 feet tall. So the kingdom of God, it has a tiny beginning, but it has been purposefully planted. There's no chance to it. There's no coincidence. It grows mysteriously, but purposefully. And it has a grand fulfillment that provides a home for the good creatures of God, the birds in the branches. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Well, now think about it. God purposefully enters into the world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And through his life and his death and his resurrection, he plants his word and his presence, his kingdom, into people's lives. First affecting the 12 disciples and then the 72. And by the time you get to the beginning of the book of Acts, there's 120. And once you get to the day of Pentecost, there's over 3,000. By the about 40 years after Jesus' resurrection, the entire Roman Empire had been touched by the kingdom. And of course now, 2,000 years later, here we sit, part of the kingdom or perhaps on the verge of being in the kingdom. It's kind of like how Facebook started, right? Started out with a few nerdy guys at Harvard, and now it's all over the world. And everybody is aware of it, though not everybody is using it. Next, he gives us a food story. Now you know Jesus knows the human heart, right? How many food shows and food blogs and foodie things are there out there today? More than you could ever count. Verse 20, again, he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds, that's the translation, of flour until it worked all through the dough. Again, a picture of a small beginning just a little yeast going through this huge amount of dough. But that small beginning leads to an inevitable transformation. Small beginning, inevitable transformation. When the kingdom gets in you, it changes you. When grace gets a hold of you, it makes you different. When the Holy Spirit lives within you, you become like Jesus. When you follow Christ, he forms you. I think about my own life and I look back as I see my character and I recognize over these 30 some odd years that I've known Christ, I see a transformation that has gone on. I'm not exactly where I think I want to be one day, but I can look back and go, I'm not where I once was. There's movement, an inevitable transformation going on. The question I would ask is, how about you? Are you seeing changes in your character, in your attitudes, in your morals, in what makes you happy, in where you find your contentment, in your money, in your sex life, in the way you act toward people who are different from you, in your willingness to forgive the offenses that come your way, but in your parenting or in your being a son or daughterness, a brother or sister, are you seeing the inevitable transformation. You're not done. 
But are you in that process? Well, let's keep going. Verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Here comes another question. And if you were with us last week, last week had a question too. A religious lawyer said, who's my neighbor? Well, this week we get a different question coming his way. Are only a few going to be saved? It's a theological question. It's a heady kind of question. It has this kind of kind of theological importance, academia feeling to it. But it's a big question and a vague question, and it's an out there question. It's about those people. Are those people going to be saved? And Jesus didn't answer that. No, that's not what, that's not what he did at all. Said what he does is he turns back on the question with a story, just like he did last week, and he personalizes it. Verse 24. He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you'll say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from away from me, all you evildoers. Jesus makes the question personal. It's not, are many going to be saved? No, it's, are you going to be saved? Are you going to be in the kingdom of God? And it's clear from his story, not everyone will be in the kingdom. Which means that there is an urgency to the kingdom. There's a personal response required to be in the kingdom. And it's possible to find yourself outside of the kingdom. There's a popular idea that's even in some churches that everyone gets to go to heaven. But that's not what King Jesus reveals. All roads aren't the same. Not all roads lead to eternal life. The king gets to define the kingdom. Now, despite what people may think, God values your will enough to let you choose to go to hell if that's what you really want. That's exactly what Jesus taught, though that is wildly unpopular today. But there is good news. There's a way out of that. There's a way to not end up outside of the kingdom. Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door. And when he says strive, the Greek word there is agonizomai, which is the word from which we get our word agony, agonize. But he doesn't mean work really hard to enter through the door, be really religious so that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. Your religious actions somehow tip the scales in your favor and God lets you in. It's not what he's talking about at all. What he means is be willing to let go of anything that would keep you from the kingdom. And there is nothing in this world worth going to hell over. But many will choose that anyway. There aren't many doors. There is one door, and Jesus says it's narrow. It's only big enough for you to fit through. Your sin can't come with you. 
your own goodness, supposed righteousness, will cause you to not fit. Your pride and your independence will make you too large to fit in to the door. Now, I told you, if you saw our uh, intro and what I put out the other day, that I would tell you why Anglican churches like ours have red doors. And it's because Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except by me. You must enter through me. And it's a red door because it's a symbol of our suffering king. Every time you enter through those red doors, it's meant to be a lived out parable, a retelling of the story of entering into the kingdom through the door, which is the cross of Christ, through the blood which is shed for you and for me. We come through the door of Jesus Christ, through a sacrificial gift that has been given. You want to know what kind of love God has for you? That red door displays it every single time. That cross displays it every single time. A costly love is what God has for you and what God has for me. A love that suffers. A love that agonizes. In fact, he bears the deepest agony of all. The separation from God. The eternal punishment of sin so that you and I don't have to. What love is this? He takes your sin and he takes my sin. And he bears it upon himself so that we would not be separated from God in the eternal death of hell. Well, back to verse 28. There will be weeping there and there will be gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves are thrown out. The only way into the kingdom is through a personal relationship with the king. It is by grace that you are saved through your faith. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. Just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets who had faith in God and in his salvation power, that's how the kingdom enters our lives and that is what keeps the kingdom within us. So also because of what they did, you too can be in the kingdom if you also have faith. When your faith rests upon the grace he offers in that death on the cross. Now notice in the gospel, twice, Jesus said to those who will find themselves outside a version of, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. I don't know who you are. In John 17, 3, we hear the words, and this is eternal life. This is what the kingdom is, to know the one God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So Jesus tells us that through this narrow door story, through him, that's how you enter the kingdom. And this kingdom is personal. There's an exclusivity to entering it. It's not any old way. There's an urgency to responding. In other words, he clearly tells us there is a too late. The door is open until you die. Your death closes the door, which is why when you hear the gospel, an invitation from the king into his kingdom, you should respond because my experience in walking with people over the years is that the more you say no, the more you close the door or at least close your ears to the invitation of the open door, the harder your heart can get. And we've all seen this year, everything can change like that. We don't know how long each of us has. 
That is what is clear this year more than anything else. Death is not far away. So respond to the invitation and then rest in faith that he has you. We keep going in verse 29. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Now notice that there will be many in the kingdom and they're going to be a lot of variety, east and west and north and south. They come from all over the place, but they've all come through the king, through the door. And there will be this bounty of diversity of peoples, of cultures, of nations and languages and tribes, and guess what, even musical tastes in that kingdom. And while that kingdom right now is primarily around us spiritually, we can't see it, and it comes to be within us, and it works its way out through us into this seen world in which we live, there will be a time in the future in which there will be a very real placeness to it. Yes, I'm making a word up. Placeness. The book of Revelation teaches that heaven and earth will come back together in the great restoration. Revelation 21 calls it the new heaven and the new earth. A total fix. The greatest rehab you could ever imagine. Everything restored and God will be with us. We will see God face to face. There will be no shame. You will not put your eyes down in shame ever again. When you stand seeing your king face to face. It will be a total transformation. A total makeover if you will. And Christ will reign forever and ever. And if you hear the hallelujah chorus in the background. I sure hope you hear that. It will be a place. A prepared place. Your place. And everything will fit just right. And you, you may not have fit anywhere else in this world, but you will fit just right in the kingdom. Thanks be to God. It's described as a great celebration. Around a table. It's a party. You realize the real God likes to party. Mm -hmm. The wedding supper of the Lamb. You never got married in this life. You're going to get married one day. And he will be there and we will be there and we will be with each other and we will rejoice with an everlasting joy. And what we're going to hear when we're there, we're going to hear kingdom stories, but we're not going to hear stories about what the kingdoms is like. We'll be totally and fully in it. But what we're going to hear is our own kingdom stories. How we became the trophies of his grace, how his life invaded ours and our life became joined with his. And we're going to marvel because those of us like me who know that I should be last, you know what? I get to be first and so might you. Those of us who know we have no claim on the king, we have no inherent right to the kingdom, have been made first in his eyes. It's the great upside down. You are beloved in his sight. You are the delight of the Father's heart. You are the apple of your heavenly daddy's eyes. This is the good news of the kingdom that Jesus has come to reveal to us. And I pray today that you will enter it in right now. And if you're already in it, then I hope that you have a laugh welling up within yourself at the lunacy 
that he lets people like me and people like you in. And the wonder that he gives us such grace to cover us over and make us clean. Friends, live in the good news. And be a person who's willing to share that good news, those kingdom stories, with the people around you who are desperate to know. Let's pray. Lord, for every heart that's beating in every chest that knows that they are not in the kingdom, in the name of Jesus, would you make them your own even now? Let forgiveness enter in. Let new life enter in. Let the kingdom enter in. It may start small, but let there be a total transformation. And Lord, would you make us truly thankful that our hearts and our minds would be full of the transformative power of your kingdom so that we'll go out and we'll share your love and the good news with the people around us. We pray, Jesus, in your name.